You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Green and Gold History. 50-plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. This episode of Green and Gold History is presented by New Era. New Era Cap is proud to be the official cap of your Oakland athletics. Next time you visit the Coliseum, be sure to drop by the New Era Cap stand and pick up your A's New Era Authentic Collection Cap. Remember, you can always visit us at neweracap.com to shop our latest selection, including our limited edition and exclusive drops. New Era Cap, the official on-field cap of Major League Baseball. It is time for Episode 13, Memories with Voost, as we wind down our time with Steve Vucinich, longtime equipment manager, retiring after 54 years with the ball club. And Voost will get to the early 2000s and all the things that happened with the playoffs and the Big Three and others. But a great announcement this week as uh, the Athletics inducted the 10 Hall of Famers from the Philadelphia A's early part of the franchise. And they announced the class of next year, which will include Steve Vucinich at What's your reaction to that, to, to be included in that and the, the guys that you're going along in with? It should be just a great thrill for you. It is a great thrill, and I really appreciate the attention that I've gotten, uh, especially this being my last year, capped off with the Hall of Fame announcement. I thought, well, maybe there's a possibility someday. I really didn't expect to hear from this this soon. But uh, I'm elated to go in with uh, three of the guys that are my favorite people uh, as far as players, and Eric Chavez, Sal Bando, and Joe Rudy. And also the person I think that I respect as many, but as anybody in my life is Keith Lipman and seeing how he has worked our farm sister, who's a former player, minor league coach, minor league manager, one of my favorite people of all time. So I'm elated to go in with those guys. Vuce, we've had our little shows going on on Thursdays here on Ace Cast and on athletics.com, but now the New York Times has jumped on board. Jason Turnbull, our old buddy, who's written a book about the A's, a great book about the, the early 70s with the ball club. I had a great article uh, today about you uh, with the 54 years. Uh, that must have been a nice little waking up to with a cup of coffee. I thought he did a really nice job. What's your thoughts about a guy that likes to work, maybe stay behind the scenes, get a little more attention these days? Well, I think it was a slow news day first. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, Jason spent some hours with me about a month ago and uh, kept in contact, updating different things and asking me opinion. Should he write this? Should he write that? Not really an opinion, but how important certain things were. But uh, I got up this morning. I had about four people back on the East Coast that had already texted me, hey, the article's in there today. And I didn't let any of these people know it was coming because I had no idea when, number one. Uh, but uh, I read the article. I think he did a great job. He uh, uh some great photos in there. It's funny how... You always hear about the cutting room floor and movies and things, and so much more is filmed than what's actually shown in a 90-minute production. But uh, uh, the photographer came down, and he must have taken 120 pictures, and then you get three in there, which is fine. I understand the, the cutting room floor concept. You want to have more than enough. But uh, I thought it was a great article, uh, good pictures in there, and uh, it be featured in the New York Times as special. Boos, we're winding down. We're, you know, inside of 40 games left during the regular season, certainly hoping for more in October. But you're starting to check some cities off the list, cities that the A's have made their final trips to, where you've been a part of it. What have those uh, times been like? You walk through those clubhouses and through those stadiums for the last time, and I know just about everybody, if not everybody, has given you some 
sense uh, some small recognition for your time with the athletics uh, as a visitor coming to those ballparks. It, it, it has been fun. And, and a lot of those ballparks I might go back to just being a fan. I mean, you've got New York and those kind of places. Cleveland, not really a uh, a vacation destination, but if I'd be driving through the east and I'd go through Cleveland, that would be fine. Detroit coming up. It's tough to see some of the people, some of the local media, some of the media that we haven't seen the last two years because nobody's traveling, and to uh, run into radio and TV broadcasters in the visiting cities. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of melancholy. I uh, got a nice gift from the Yankees, a number 54 signed autographed jersey with a special message from Booney on there. And uh, I got a piece of the uh, great green monster scoreboard, number 54, signed by all the Red Sox, plus some other gifts. I've got I've got more cigars than I could ever smoke, uh, and uh, I've gotten some wines, and but some nice recognitions on the scoreboards, too. So that's as important to me as any gift that they can give me, um, you know, hugging the visiting clubhouse guys. And I will see at the winter meetings, but after that, you never know. Well, it's all well-deserved. There's no question about that. When we left things off, the A's were kind of in a playoff drought, Moose, you know, from 92 heading into 2000. But there were some good things that were on the horizon with young players like Eric Chavez and Miguel Tejada, Jason Giambi, and these great young pitchers that were coming together, the big three of uh, Tim Hudson and Mark Mulder and Barry Zito. As 2000 came around, how ready do you think this club was? And you think back to the stories you told me about, you know, going from – 70 to 71 or 71 to 72 of those clubs felt they were ready to take the next step. Were you having those same kind of feelings going into 2000? Absolutely. And actually, in 1999, I think we might, might have made the playoffs, except we were never more than six days away from a flight. And we had so many guys sick the last three, four weeks of the season, and no, not the whole team could get well. But you see the foundation. You know, Mulder was there. Zito was coming. Uh, Hudson was already there, and you had Chavez and Giambi and those guys. So it was the same kind of nucleus building in 70, 71 for the 72 through 74 championship teams. They were uh, Miguel Tejada was there. Uh, I mean, we had great clubs in those years. It's just too bad we couldn't get over the hump. As a visiting broadcaster with the Rangers at that time, I remember coming into this clubhouse and just sensing the different vibe. There was the great cover picture of Jason Giambi from Sports Illustrated with him leaning on the bat with his hair kind of down in front of his face, giving that kind of unique type look. What was that time like with the the clubhouse here in Oakland? You know, we've always had great times in Oakland when we go back to the Reggie and Rudy and Bando type days. I think part of it was in those days was the anti-Philly thing. Here in Oakland, it was the anti-San Francisco thing. Hey, let's go out and win. Let's show how the Oakland, the ugly stepsister of San Francisco, can dominate baseball. Uh, obviously, the talent was there. We had some good drafts in drafting Giambi and, and those guys. Chavez was the number one pick. Um, but uh, you could see them gelling. It was a wild clubhouse. We had the wildest celebration I've ever seen. It was only for a division title the last day of the season in 2000. It, Winning that game meant that we didn't have to fly to Tampa and play a playoff game the next day. So we've won a division, and now we celebrate, and the celebration goes on for hours. I mean, I'm talking about three, four hours after the game. And there were so many people in the clubhouse, and the guys would find anything to dump. Forget the champagne, that's gone. Forget all the soda, forget all the beer. They were taking ice buckets out of the shower room, dumping them. By the time we were through, and most of the people left, and I sat there to to, uh, observe the damage... Um, we had about two inches of water, or I should say liquid, mm-hmm. on the on the floor of the clubhouse. So uh, it was quite a cleanup process. The next day we had a workout and opened Tuesday with a playoff victory against the Yankees. 
But uh, it was quite a clean-up procedure after that celebration. It's still markedly the best I've ever seen. What was Jason's year like that year at Giambi, at, you know, winning the MVP and just having this uh, incredible leadership quality about him and the, the way the, the club just continued to perform? And he was the guy kind of steering the wheel, if you will. You know, you can have leadership by being very serious, uh, by uh, talking to players and uh, saying you're doing something wrong. Or you can have leadership like Jason, just do it all on the field. People come to him, he'd, he'd be having fun. I don't, it's not like people went to him and say, hey, Jason, sh- could, should I swing a heavier bat? It's more like, hey, Jason, how's my position out there? Um, where do I play? I mean, the coaches are all instrumental in those parts too, but Jason was a leader, and if he felt something needed to be changed, he did. Uh, he only spoke up as a leader as needed. But uh, he had a great year there. Uh, he had a great year the next year too, and he probably should have been most valuable player that year, except each row just dominated. So... Um, Jason was a leader. Uh, you saw that. He went to New York. He wasn't as vocal then because he had more veterans. But uh, when he came back to us, he he's had that same stature. Boost, you had uh, Tim Hudson, who went to Auburn from Alabama. You've got a kid from you know, the upper Midwest from Michigan State, Mark Mulder. And you've got California Cool from San Diego with Barry Zito. All different personalities, all very talented pitchers, and all different pitchers in their own right, the way they went about uh, doing their work on the mound. What did you enjoy about watching that collection of arms work together, have fun together, uh, and become lifelong friends? And certainly very important to the success of the club in the early 2000s. You know what? Uh, you saw them coming. You knew Zito was coming after Mulder and Huddy. And to see those three bond as knowing that they're the leaders of the pitching staff and maybe the three best star- starters together in the American League. And uh, they did certain things together. They posed for pictures together. They posed for posters together. Uh, they did some entertaining uh, charity-type stuff, all three of them together, whether they're donating the same piece of equipment or whatever. But uh, it, it'd like to think if we'd gone to a World Series or won a World Series, how much more... Uh, they would have grown in stature. They were known as the best three in American League at the time, but if you win a World Series, now it's nationally known. So uh, they were, and all three are different pitchers too, different personalities, but they blended together. I was on the other, on the other side of the glass when Bill King says, strike three, call to A's win the West, striking out Frank Cantalanato looking, and that's the end of the 2000 regular season. You mentioned the, the celebration, but what was the release like for the franchise? Because it had not had a chance to experience October baseball since 1992. You know, uh, I hate to keep saying <clears throat> using the word special, but it was. But it wasn't as special as finally winning a, a division series in 2006. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as 2000, you're right. It had been dry since 92. Uh, we'd been close to 99. But um, we, uh, uh, it's like a monkey off our back. Week one again, and we win, we're in postseason. And it was important to the whole franchise, to the city, and in the county, in the area, and all the A's fans. So uh, making the playoffs and then playing against the Yankees and taking them to game five, um, it was an exciting time. Barry Zito had a lot of exciting moments for the A's and also eventually across the bay with the Giants. But game four of that division series in New York, Barry Zito, the young kid, against Roger Clemens, and he and the A's win that game. Rick Peterson talked about just the, the calmness and the coolness of Barry sitting on the bench prior to him going out to the bullpen and to, to start his work. Uh, he seemed like he was the perfect guy in that particular situation to get the A's back to Oakland. Didn't work out because you lost in five, but that game four had to be really a special night. 
It was. And what I remember the most was they're about ready to pull uh, Roger out of the game, and they asked him to walk somebody intentionally. Instead of walking, he hit the guy. I can't remember who it was. But uh, um, uh, Zito is a guy that, you know, some guys have to focus. They have to keep their eyes closed. They have to not talk to anybody before a game. Barry just walked around. He was just everybody, talking to everybody. He uh, was happy uh, to be starting an important game like that. I remember him mentioning that in in uh, post-game interviews. Um, and he was the right guy to count on time and to beat, you know, be a kid and beat Roger Clemens. It's something everybody should remember. Vuce, uh, the next year rolls around and the A's are right back in it. They're right back in the postseason. You get the Yankees again, and you're leading two games to none, winning those first two games at Yankee Stadium. And I certainly wasn't there. I remember reading some of the things about, you know, Art talking about how the A's were playing so well and, and the Yankees had to bring their A game, so to speak. That was the headline uh, in the New York tabloids as the teams came back uh, here to Oakland. And you get to game three. And it's, you know, the, the play of plays that had really kind of defined the early 2000s for the A's. The Jeter play throwing home on the flip in 2001 with a Jeremy Giambi. Do you remember being on the bench? Do you remember... Uh, seeing that play unfold, what, what comes to mind? No, I was in the clubhouse watching it on TV, and I still swear he was safe. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I've seen that play over and over and over again, and you can't prove to me he got tagged before he hit the plate. But uh, um, And that would have only tied the game. So you know, that's not why we lost the game. It was a key uh, component. But we lose those two games here. Now we've got to go back to New York. And I'm talking to Ray Ratto on in a dugout the next day because we played a day game and had to play the next night in New York, travel overnight. And Ratto said, this will be the first series that the visiting team wins all three games on the road. And, well, it didn't happen. But uh, 2001 was a great year. Um, that was a year we finished second and still won over 100 games, which is almost unheard of. Uh, Seattle had the unbelievable year. But uh, that was also 9-11. We went back to New York before games one and two. We had a tour of, of the destruction zone, and it kind of put everything in perspective. But our guys focused, and we won those first two games in New York, and all we had to do is one one out of the next three, and we did not. How did you feel when you got on the buses and started to drive into the city and, and see you know, firsthand and sense firsthand what the country was going through? You know, we, uh, we played the final game in Anaheim <clears throat> and then flew – and I think must arrived about twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning in New York. We went into to uh, uh, Newark Airport, and as you're driving into the city before you go through the, the tunnel or George Washington Bridge, you saw this smoke going up, and and I thought it was dust. And the truck driver was telling me how no, it's still the iron workers having to spray off iron as they move stuff because fires can erupt. And but it was an eerie feeling. And the next day, I, like I said, we had a tour of the area. Uh, we went down to a, a firehouse that uh, lost a few of their firemen, and the mayor was there, Giuliani, having lunch with a couple of the kids that had lost their fathers. And that was very touching. We got some pictures taken with Giuliani. I couldn't get him to put on a nays hat, but uh, we had some pictures taken with him, and then we toured the area, and it was like a ghost town. But it kind of set everything perspective about the world, that maybe baseball isn't that important compared to the other things. And I, I think it took a, a, it didn't take a toll on us. I mean, put it in perspective, and everybody knew there was more than baseball. But let's focus on baseball, and we did. When you've been around this sport like you have, Vuce, for fifty-four years, you remember the tough times that 
the city of Detroit had and how baseball helped with the healing. And then the A's go in there and play in 72. You certainly remember what happened here with the earthquake in 1989 with the Giants. And then seeing that when you've been in this great game for that long and you've seen time and time again, and we're maybe in the middle of it right now, trying to work our way out of this uh, COVID virus scenario, which we're not there yet, but continue to kind of work forward. And the sport has tried to, its best to move on and, and be a part of of uh, the country's fabric again. What what comes to mind for you when you think about these separate moments and how baseball, once again, was there and maybe helped to lend a hand? I mean, uh, you think about things. In, in 91, we had a great Oakland fire. Of course, we, were, we didn't make the playoffs that year. But when you have friends lose their homes, and it, it makes you think about things. Now, with 9-11, uh, I remember waking up that morning. Somebody says, turn on the local news. It was about 6 o'clock in the morning. And then we had to call the players later that day to tell them that, hey, the game's been canceled. We don't know when we're going to play again. And they did extend the season, so then we went into the playoffs. But there, there are a lot more things important. Uh, I mean, the personal destruction of 89, the earthquake, and everything went on in San Francisco, Santa Cruz, and downtown Oakland. Um, it, it makes you think, um, hey, we're only a sidebar to that. As many as headlines as we might get, as much attention as baseball might get or any sports, we're only a little bit compared to what really matters. You live through the the division series challenges. The A's. You mentioned they finally broke through in 06, but all these game five deciding games that the A's couldn't get through, it happened many times, constantly early 2000s. You walk back in the clubhouse and you you either get on a plane, you head back to Oakland, or you, or you start to pack and, and say goodbye to the season in such a dramatic way. Those emotions must have been just so crushing to have it happen time and time again you're right it was toughest thing four years in a row game fives and uh, uh it's like can it happen again i mean when we lost in uh 03 to boston um again having a two nothing lead but uh not coming home but going to boston but all the games were close things things happened we had weird things in that boston series with eric burns and miguel tejada eric chavez for those two uh, um, plays that uh, there's interference and one went our way one didn't and to explain the rules and maybe our guys didn't know the rules the correct way but little things happened that were that just caught us I won't say by surprise but cost us a series maybe or cost us a game which could have been a deciding factor it was very disappointing uh, to lose game fives uh, in 2000 people weren't expecting us to do anything against the Yankees in 2001, after winning the first two, they were expecting us to win. In 2002, we played Minnesota. We split the first two games, and uh, but took it to Game Five. And then, and then again, 2003, like I said, against the Red Sox, it was it was very disheartening. You come back up from the dugout, or if you're in the clubhouse, and there's almost all silence, more so than any other game you could lose. Uh, and losing the last game of the season, if you're in postseason, it's that's the most disheartening thing there can be. Even for somebody that's been in the game as long as you have, and you've seen just about everything you could possibly see on the field, it starts on August 13th of 2002, and it's a 20-game winning streak, but at the time sets breaks and sets a new American League record for most consecutive wins uh, in a season. It starts at home, then you go on a long road trip, and then you come back. I, that's, I don't know if you know there's a movie that was made about that. I heard about that. There's a guy with a cigar that his name was Steve Usinich in the movie. It almost looked like you, not quite. But Michael Lewis is the guy that, that 
that wrote the book and was around the club a lot that year and sure had a chance to see something special. But you lived it, you know, day in and day out. Uh, what are the? Just take me through some of the parts of the memories as you go through those twenty games and what what it was like. Well, uh, first of all, when you get up to ten, eleven, then maybe I don't think the MLB Network was there yet, but you had uh, ESPN and they talk about us. And I always think of when I see hear of other winning streaks and or losing streaks, you wonder how they did that day. Were other teams paying attention to us? And then was find some of the ways we've we won games in 16, 17, 18, whatever those were, with Tejada against Minnesota. And the ways we way we did it, it's like wondering if the other teams are saying, oh, my God, they did it again. Not that it affected them, but just they're following it, and they're baseball fans. So we get to uh, 20 we, or 19, and we got the big lead, and we're almost going to blow it. I said, this is be really embarrassing. And what's really funny is... Uh, it took me a while to think about this. When Hatterberg hit that home run, that was the first home run I was ever in the home dugout when he, when a home run was hit. Because most of the time, well, 20 years I was on the visitor's side, I'd be there or over on the visitor's, uh, side by the net. Usually if I go down on the field, I don't go down to the dugout, I kind of stand off the side, our dugout's not that big and we won't want to overcrowd it. So I'll stand by the netting and we'll, the home runs are there. Or, whatever the deciding play is. So that was actually the first time I'd ever been in the home dugout with when an ace player hit a home run. Not just in the game, at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was so special. Now we go to Minnesota, we, we could have won 21. But uh, to get to that many, you'd think, oh, my God, watching ESPN, hey, the A's win again, number 15, number 16, number 17. And it was, it was fun to be a part of it. And we've had a couple of reunions of that, that team, and that's been fun for all of us to get together. Miguel Tejada, you know, there were no walk-offs in that streak until 18, 19, and 20. The first two by Miguel, and then, of course, Hattieberg with the home run against uh, Jason Grimsley and the Royals. But that was an MVP year for Miguel Tejada. We talked about him on the last episode, kind of coming up as a kid and learning his way. And then he he became a kind of an emotional-type leader for your club. Uh, what did you enjoy about watching Miguel Tejada basically grow up before your very eyes? The fun he had playing the game. Um, we always knew he was going to be a good player. I've I'd heard from our minor league pe- people that this guy is coming, and he comes from nothing, and he's uh, earned everything he's gotten. He played well for us, but he had a lot of fun, and his smile was contagious, if you can, if anybody remembers that. Uh, his years, you could see the power was coming, and he was a good defensive player, but getting better and better. And I watched him play from A-ball in Modesto, and, and he just kept getting better and better, and... and uh, to see him flourish like that, to see him capitalize on, on things like that and get smarter, and that's a big thing for him to get smarter and understand things better, uh, is a pleasure to watch. And hated to lose him when he signed with Baltimore, but uh, he uh, he's a great player. He really enjoyed him. It was either going to be Greg Myers or Scott Hatterberg that was going to get that pinch hit. They're both up in the cage kind of getting ready, saying, I think it's going to be you. He said, I think it's going to be you. And it comes down that you mentioned you're in the dugout, and so you've got the great view because the A's dugout's the third base dugout. Hattie's a left-hand batter, so you see the ball going to right field, uh, almost in slow motion, like you see in the movie. Uh, you you remember certainly the the reaction, but to be in the in the middle of that and seeing history being made, and you're standing there seeing history being made. What a feeling was that like? You know, what's funny is that was the only day all year I wore a yellow shirt. I had an old yellow polo, and I put it on, not even thinking of it. I said, I haven't worn this in a while. And we figured out it was the only time I'd worn it all year. And in real game footage 
in the movie, you can see me jumping up and down with my arms up in the air. Bruce Jenkins even wrote about it in the Chronicle a few days later, talking about my emotions and everything. And I was just proving the theory white men can't jump. But uh, it's the only time. So you can see me in real game footage. Um, the guy that played me was a little shorter, a little heavier. Come on, Benny. <laughs> but he did have a cigar. He did have so a cigar. That was the only similarity. <laughs> and the yellow shirt. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was great to see that from there. I can, I can almost picture it today, just his swing. And I, my first reaction was get up. So, I mean, I meant stay up so the ball would get in the stands. And then the reaction of everybody and that 40,000 people plus that were there that day is is amazing. It was so much fun to say, hey, we got the record 20 in a row, especially how we almost, almost blew it. We all know how movies take liberties, especially with, with real-life stories. And the two things they got right was the guy that played Voos did have the cigar, and the guy that played Billy Bean, and maybe it's because you presented this to the producers and to the directors, the Billy Bean character had stains on his shirt, and Billy recognized it. You guys, you kind of dug down a little too far about the real personality of Billy Bean at that time. Well, it's funny. Billy always said he always had a messy shirt in high school, and his nickname was Bib Shirt. So I kind of took that, and, and uh, uh, Brad Pitt was in my office. It was the same day he actually asked me if I wanted to play my own part, but the parts that I would have played would have been on a set in Hollywood, and I would have had to been away from the ball club. But he asked me about some things about Billy, and, and Billy wasn't there, so I told him the truth. I said, he's always got a stain on his shirt. You just pay attention when you're around him, and then you'll want to put it in the movie. And he did. Boost, you saw a lot of players come and go here. I mean, your favorite catfish hunter left, and he became a New York Yankee. Reggie Jackson was traded out of town, and the list goes on and on. But when Jason Giambi left after 2001 and became a Yankee the following year, which you kind of touched on a little bit earlier, uh, just how big of a hold did he leave when he left? Well, that that was a cause celebrated to get Heidelberg play first base after we got him from Colorado. But uh, it was a big hole, uh, both uh, personality, clubhouse leadership, and obviously his baseball acumen. Uh, I actually think, uh, if I remember right, we were close to having a press conference in spring training 2001 to announce an extension. And for some reason, we're not sure, uh, it fell through. And he ended up getting a bigger contract, but I, as he went over to New York, he wasn't happy there right away. And uh, I think he would have rather been in Oakland, even making a few dollars less. But uh, it was a big hole to fill just for the reasons not only on the field but off the field. You talk about those four years with the, with the disappointment of losing game five four years in a row, but yet you had just an extremely talented club. And I know when, like you mentioned, some of the reunions and I've, talk with players on that club and they say boy we really think the 0-1 team was the best team we had we thought they were going to go further it didn't happen those things didn't happen but it was a, such a great collection of players and knowing what you know about the history of this franchise how do you look back on that time for Steve Usinich with those players you know early 2000s here in Oakland well taking over the uh, home clubhouse in 94 and not having postseason until 2000 I always said, was it me? Was it me? Is it my fault? But uh, no, kiddingly, um, I thought that 2001 was a team that could have gone all the way. We had Jermaine Dine until he got hurt. We had Johnny Damon. We had uh, we had great players. And we've already mentioned Jambi, but and, and great gap players too, guys that filled the gap for a year or two. So uh, very disappointing in 2001, but I think that was the best team we had then of all those playoff teams those four years. And that's a team that I thought could have uh, won a World Series like the 89 team or the 74 team. Uh, uh, maybe we beat the Yankees, we get on a roll, and we go the rest of the way. There are more games to play now. There are more uh, 
uh, series to play to get to the World Series instead of just one like we had in the 70s and 80s. But uh, uh, as a team, I thought that 2001 team should have advanced farther. Well, we've reached the 21st century, and we've got about a month left to go, Vuce. I know there's a lot more stories still to come as we fast forward to where we will be uh, currently now in 2021. Again, congratulations on being inducted into the uh, Athletics Hall of Fame class of 2022. Look forward to another episode with Vuce as it comes up next week. Thank you so much. Always enjoyed, Vinny. Memories with Vuce, episode 13, as we talk about the early 2000s and more here on AceCast. And you can always hear the entire interview, athletics.com slash AceCast. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.